0: Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. Are you ready? Did you know there's even more than just this podcast? Go check out my website, houseplant-homebody.com for even more, and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest at LLC. And as I'm sure you already know, each podcast episode has a corresponding blog post on my website. So make sure you check that out. And do not forget to rate, review this podcast and make sure you're commenting, liking, sharing and subscribing so more plant people just like you can find my podcast and social media. You can even help support your favorite podcast, blog, and social media by joining me on my Become a Supporter website page to get exclusive podcast episodes, access to a supporter-only Facebook group, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. And if you really just can't get enough, I send out a bi-monthly newsletter on the first of every other month, also with exclusive content and some updates on what's happened the previous couple months. All right, let's get into it. Alright, today's episode is on Axalis, which is definitely a random one out there. I am an understanding of that, trust me. But, they are some of the most unique houseplants out there, and really before I understood them as being potential houseplants, they were always used as annuals and they were always harder to find when we were trying to buy annuals at the garden center I worked at. So, these look very similar to a shamrock and they have a ton of personality. The foliage folds up at night, kind of like a prayer plant does, and moves with the light intensity. And they really have these tiny little beautiful flowers that range in several colors. So, The botanical names, is there is several. So, there is more of the houseplant version. There's more of the native ones. There's more of like kind of the wild growing ones. And there's a whole lot in between. So, the one you're probably going to find in a houseplant shop is Oxalis triangulus Or Spirilis is probably the two I've seen the most um, houseplant shopping. But there's also Oxalis tetraphyla, articulata, oregana Gigantia, and volcanicola and there's a lot more than that out there but that's just kind of the basics of what i was finding consistently online and they kind of depended on where you were at in the world is what you're going to find so a lot of common names out there what you're going to find when you're shopping as a houseplant you're going to find oxalis you might even find false shamrock or purple shamrock or good luck plant, or lucky shamrock. Those are all potential names. More than likely, you're just going to find oxalis or oxalis with the Latin name. And then the other common names, more of the native growing plants and what you're going to find more in nature is sourgrass or wood sorrel, which is another, wood sorrel is the most common, probably common name, if you're looking at the more native plant growing outside kind of thing. So, oxalis is one of those plants that actually goes dormant in winter, really similar to caladium. So, if you're noticing a decline in foliage production kind of in fall into winter, that's the time that you need to cut it back, place it in a lower light situation, and reduce the watering significantly, if not completely. So, once you see new leaves start to come back up in spring pop it back into the brighter light situation you had it in previously and start watering normally and you should get your oxalis back just like it was in peak season. So, what are those requirements you might be asking? So, let's dive into sun requirements. Natively, oxalis tend to be shade-loving plants. They are understory plants that kind of grow similar to a ground cover at the base of a forest floor or something. That being said, that's mostly the green varieties you're going to find that do that. So, the triangulous ones that are really bright, vibrant purple, or if you have a variegated leaf that is purple, they tend to like a little bit more light. So, they're definitely great in medium light. They really thrive in that bright, indirect light. So, just avoid putting them in direct sunlight because they can burn and they will, um, they just won't grow as well in direct sunlight. So if you can find that good balance of medium to bright indirect light, you're good. The bright indirect light does allow for fuller foliage and more blooms, which I can talk about later, but medium to bright indirect light is best. So for water requirements, oxalis need to be at about a medium moisture to do really well. Some websites is medium to high. I don't want you to be thinking they're like maidenhair fern high moisture, but they are annual high moisture, which means they need to be watered a lot more frequent than a lot of your normal houseplants. So letting them dry out will make the leaves wilt and you may lose some leaves if you wait a little too long. If you're noticing that your leaves are completely wilting, I want to make sure I say wilting, not just closing up. Closing up probably means it's close to nighttime, not necessarily having watering issues. So if the leaves are just closing up, that is a light thing. If the whole stem with the leaf on it is drooping, that probably means it's being underwatered more than likely. So just make sure you're watering pretty consistently and not allowing the plant to completely dry out in between waterings. On a humidity standpoint, these actually don't require humidity at all to thrive really well, so I put mine in the basement over winter and brought it back up and started watering it and it was sitting in a west window. No extra humidity, just the window because it was near a commu- computer, I wasn't going to put it near a humidifier if it was by a computer or spritz it over there, so it was doing great. It bloomed a ton and the foliage is really, really full. So mine doesn't have any extra humidity at all. I think, honestly, the moisture and the light levels are more important than humidity for these. I do know that these natively come from tropical or subtropical regions. I don't think it would hurt it at all, but it's definitely not required. So, if that's something that you're like, well, I can't have plants that need any humidity because I'm not going to be able to provide that, this would be your guy. Okay, we're going to jump right into fertilizer now. Okay, so this is pretty standard. The Practical Houseplant Book for Fertilizing recommends you apply a balanced liquid fertilizer every month when the plant is in growth from spring to late summer and stop feeding during dormancy. So that's basically what I do, but I use a liquid fertilizer that recommends you fertilize every week to every two weeks. So, that's just what I have been doing. Um, since it's more of a very annual thing and it's not necessarily a, like a house plant type plant where it's going to continue growing all throughout the winter too, increasing your fertilizer a little bit more, is standard for, I like to say, call these as annuals more than anything. So, like annual flowers, to keep them blooming prolifically through the growing season, you end up fertilizing a little bit more. Or at least, I know garden centers do. So, applying that fertilizer like you normally would in spring and summer when it actively is growing is great i didn't feed this at all during the winter so like some house plants i'll put like one or two applications of fertilizer on them but since this goes dormant i didn't even bother i just cut back the foliage and let it rest so i do use the fox farm grow big liquid fertilizer on this as well because i kind of use it on all of my house plants and lately i've been doing it about every two weeks the packaging recommends every week so I've just been continuing every two weeks, if I remember, I do every week, but if not, it's fine. I would rather under-fertilize than over-fertilize, to be honest. Okay, so propagating oxalis is pretty simple. It's just dividing. So, I would recommend maybe doing it at a less stressful time, maybe on its way into dormancy or way out of dormancy, so not in its peak growing season. I would split these off to create new oxalis plants, if that makes sense. I know that section's very short, but dividing is how you would propagate these. All right, the other facts in the Instagram Q&A is actually a little bit longer today just because there was some stiff I wanted to talk about. So, this is part of the Oxalidaceae family and it's native to tropical parts of Mexico, parts of Africa, and South America. So, they're kind of all over the world, honestly. You can even find them in the United States growing wildly. That's really fun. Um, There's A form of oxalis that's called like redwood sorrel because it grows on the forest floor of the redwood forest. So, fun fact. Oxalis foliage ranges in shades of green and purple with some variegation in there. A lot of the purple Variations tend to have a purple variation to it, and there is like one type of green that has some like purple in the center of it as well. So they really mix it up with purple and green on variations. The flower does depend based on the variety. So it comes in orange, yellow, white, or pink. Sometimes it's like a pinky purple based on the type of oxalis you have, and the size flower does change as well. So I have a purple oxalis triangulus, I don't actually know the specific cultivar of it but i do know it's the triangulus and it is purple and it gets like decently large flowers um, at least for such a small plant almost like white flowers with like a hint of purple on them but i also had an oxalis spiralis for a while spiralis spiralis however you pronounce that and they had tiny 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 little yellow flowers too, but the leaves were really small too, so I think it's pretty proportionate based on the size plant you're getting. So, the couple of things I want to talk about was toxicity on these because it varies based on human toxicity versus pet. So, um, I have a couple of resources, ASPCA and Pacific Horticulture, that calls out very specific things better than I could have ever done, so I thought I would kind of like read off what they were saying, but overall oxalis leaves are actually edible for humans in small quantities. So the word oxalis actually translates to sour and it gets that name from it, the, what they called oxalic acid content. So Pacific Horticulture says the oxalis tubers are also edible as well, which the tubers are very similar to bulbs. Um, I always compare it to those because they're very, very similar on the terms and the way they look. But it says Oxalis tuberosa was initially cultivated in regions of the Andes for its potato-like root or tubers. Oka, as it's known there, was introduced to Europe in 1830 as a competitor to the potato. In New Zealand, the tubers are so common that they are simply known as New Zealand yams and grow in a range of colors. In Mexico, oca is eaten raw with salt, lemon, and hot pepper. The tubers are a good source of beta carotene and energy-dense carbohydrates. So that was really interesting. That was more on the tubers than the actual foliage, and I'll get into the foliage in a little bit, but interesting to know. It does call out the Oxalis tuberosa on that website, though, as the tuber specifically being edible. It doesn't say on any of the other sources that I had looked up that all varieties are edible or all varieties are not edible. So, just keep that in mind. The other point I wanted to make is that Oxalis is technically poisonous to pets. So, because of the sensitivity on that, I think it's a little bit More poisonous to them. So ASPCA reads all parts of the plant have toxic potential, although the possibility of serious effects is usually limited to ingestion of large quantities. Consuming oxalis species can produce colic in horses, and kidney failure is possible if significant amounts are eaten. That was ASPCA reading about the pet side of things, while Pacific horticulture does call it out again with the foliage side of things. So this reads. In very large amounts, it is considered lightly toxic, interfering with proper digestion. In truth, this compound is found in more commonly consumed foods such as grapefruit, spinach, chives, broccoli, and rhubarb, and many others. General scientific consensus holds that actual poisoning from oxalic acid in persons with normal kidney function is wildly improbable. I wanted to give you all the facts, but if you want to look at eating it, I would talk to your doctor or your vet first. (laughs) If you're looking for a plant that is non-toxic for your pets, I wouldn't include this one as one of them because ASPCA does list it as toxic in general before they go into that description. And I do have more information on pets and plants if you're looking for learning some pet-friendly plants as well. It's episode 31 and the corresponding blog post is online as well. That was some of the other facts, a lot of good information on the toxic side of things. Usually, it's just a flat yes or no, but this one was a little little weird, so I just wanted to dive into it a bit more. So let's jump into the Instagram Q&A now. As a reminder, I throw this Instagram Q&A out in my stories a few times before every podcast episode just to make sure I'm answering all of your guys' specific questions. And I did come back with a few from you guys, so that was great. Um, the first, I guess, statement slash question says, I know nothing. How to care for, why are they linked with St. Patrick's Day? So, if I go super general into care, which obviously I went not so general above basic care, light, medium to bright indirect, medium moisture, and allow them to go into dormancy in winter. If you follow those, you're probably good. It's a pretty low-maintenance houseplant in general. I've had mine for over a year through the winter process, and I've never had pest issues on them as well, versus there's some plants that I have that consistently have pest issues, and this is not one of them. And then I looked up the St. Patrick's Day link, because I do know they're kind of associated with that too. The Washington Post actually had a really good article about them, and I did quote it on the blog post, but basically the answer was... Because they look like a shamrock, that is why they are associated with St. Patrick's Day. Because they look like a specific plant called Trifolium dubium, I think, which is the official Irish shamrock, they look similar to that. That's why they're associated with it. I think Oxalis is just a little bit easier to find industry-wide. So since it looks like it, they kind of just like went with it. So that's why it's also associated with the holiday as well. It was a lot more simple of an answer than I had anticipated, let me tell you. (laughs) Okay the next question is what type of soil do they like? So I don't think there's anything specific that oxalis need. I would just recommend using a well-draining soil mix. So I always use just like a regular potting mix. I use a fox farm potting mix but you can basically use anything and then I just add perlite into it to make it a little bit better draining potting mix. I just maybe wouldn't use like the cheap 50 cent potting mix that's like really really off-brand maybe because sometimes it doesn't have as good of draining it could be more for like annual containers outside that need to hold a bit more moisture also note that a lot of soil mixes contain fertilizer already so i try to avoid that as much as possible but also keep that in mind if you plan on fertilizing this plant outside of the soil mixture you're using but well draining soil mix is what I would recommend. If you want to just use a houseplant soil mix just to be safe, that's a great one to use. Otherwise, I use the Fox Farm, but I do know Black and Gold is a good brand too that has good potting mixes. Um, and then I just buy a small bag of like Perlite and it gets me through, honestly, a couple. I use it with a couple of like two square foot bags. soil. I don't use a lot of extra because at least the Fox Farm one does have some in it already. So, well draining soil mix. And then the last question is what gives it that unique leaf shape? So, I decided to look up the actual leaf shape and what kind of combinations there was. So, I generally found that there were like three regular kind of common leaf shapes on Xalis. So, all of them have that clover or shamrock type shape that have three separate leaves attached at one stem. It might be four on some, but I think it's three. And they're either all heart shaped where the tip of the heart goes down to the stem, the triangular, or they're more rounded. But I did find one that had a palm shaped leaf. So that was interesting. That was very specific to that only. It almost looked like it was a succulent. Um, So if you want to go look it up, it was really cool. But that was the only other type of leaf that was kind of random. More than likely, you're going to find the triangulus or the heart-shaped or the rounded leaves. though. That's all I got for now on Oxalis, and I hope you guys enjoy and learn a little bit more, just like I did. I learned a lot while recording this, but I do love Oxalis. It is one of the easier houseplants that I've had, and I know it does die back, but it's still so beautiful when it comes back in spring and starts blooming. Thanks for listening to episode 61 of Houseplant Homebody, all about sales Don't forget to check out the blog post that corresponds with this episode. If you go to houseplant-homebody.com and go to the blog page, you'll find it there. Also, don't forget to find me at Houseplant Homebody LLC on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast along with liking, saving, and commenting on social media. Odds are, if you like this podcast, someone else will too. I love to hear what you've learned from this episode or really anything that I'm doing and your plant experiences. So please share them with me because I love it. Also, you can help support your favorite podcast by joining me on my Become a Supporter website page to get exclusive podcast episodes, access to a supporter-only Facebook group, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. Your support means the world to me, and I'm super excited to keep bringing you plant bios and information. Also, don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for the brand new episode and blog post. From one houseplant homebody to another, see you next time. Well hello, Megan, as normal. Hope you guys are doing great. Um, I just wanted to reiterate that the newsletter actually went out on Sunday this past weekend. So if you didn't sign up for the newsletter for the next month or so, if you do sign up, I will see that and I will send it out to you specifically. By the end of the day or the next day or something just so you do have it because this newsletter is going to cover all the way into october since that will be the next time a newsletter will be coming out because of the wedding that is why i'm doing that so normally the next newsletter would come out on august 1st but but since i'm getting married on august 5th i don't want to be sending out the newsletter right there on august 1st so i just sent out a ton of information on sunday this weekend. Um, But if you do want the newsletter, sign up for it. I do see your name when you sign up and when you sign up and I will send it over to you in the next month or so. I'm going to say through June if you sign up for the newsletter, I'll send it to you. Other thing I wanted to say is the next podcast episode is Fetisia or spiderweb plant. So definitely a unique plant does have its ups and downs, but I did want to go over it with you guys. I've had a couple in the past, but I definitely want to dive into that one because that is one that I've had several requests for as well. So we'll go into that. I also want to remind you that I will be taking time off of recording for the wedding and the honeymoon. So you will get an episode released August 2nd, but you will not get one the next two times that I normally would. So it would be August 2nd, would be the last podcast episode for a bit. And then the following one would be September 13th, would be the next episode you get. So just as a heads up, you will see me in stories still because the wedding and the honeymoon is very plant related. So you will still see me all the time. Um, But just Ob- obviously episode specific, you won't be seeing me. So a lot of wedding stuff is going on. Last minute details. It is as of today that I'm recording this on Sunday. It is two months away. So a lot to do. Last Lots of last minute things, but we're all very excited. So um, if you have any plant questions, feel free to reach out to me with the Fatsia, or commonly called a spiderweb plant. I'll put it in my stories as well a few times before the next episode is released. So that way you can ask your questions too. But feel free to just message me and say, hey, I know this episode's coming up. Here's my questions for you. And I'll screenshot them. So hope you guys are doing great. And I will see you on Instagram and Facebook. Bye.